you can't go to a new destination and mm. explore it in 48 hours or however long you want to be there and pretend like you know everything. On today's podcast, we're talking to Linda Blank, the COO of Suitcase. We're talking all about the need for high-end content. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, interviewing leaders across the industry and sharing a little bit of technology news. Enjoy the show. On today's show, I'm joined by Courtney and Ali. What was that face, Ali? <laughs> I, I, I knew you were going to say that. I knew that was going to happen. All right. Would you like me to start the show differently? No, mix it up. Let's mix it up this week. Well, it's a bit late now. We've started recording and I'm not okay. going to redo it. Okay. Hold for future it. shows. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, hello. Yeah, you're not having a go at me, so that's fine. Um... <laughs> Last night, I watched the fourth episode of Race Across the World. It feels like television's just giving me the finger. Yep, and this podcast. I know that we're like already already talking about the podcast, but this was also the same feeling. Yeah, I mean, Race Acro- Across the World is, is, is great. Have you seen it? Do you know what I'm on about? I've heard about it. No idea. Right, okay. So basically what happens is you get couples... Um, and they have to cross ridiculous distances. So this one is from like North America to the tip of South America. And they have stages that they get basically told, right, you've got to go to Quito. You've got to go to Buenos yeah. Aires. You've got to go to whatever else. Like Amazing and Race. They can... Sorry? Like Amazing Race. Maybe. They basically, they get they get given the cost of the airfare and they can mm-hmm. only travel by land and sea. Oh, okay. No, not like Amazing Race. So they have, they have to manage their budget but also go as quickly as they can across these continents and countries. Um, and it's just hilarious watching this show all about kind of people hopping borders and kind of making their way through all these countries as quickly as they can. And it's and like, yep, sitting house. And travel, like <laughs> just seeing, seeing the world while we're seeing the same four walls. <laughs> but I just find it hilarious that it started just as the lockdown started as well. Oh, it's really? Like, wow. What but program- it's, like epi- it's episode four. What program is it on, Dave? channel bbc okay i'll give it a watch it's good fun it's good fun but it is just hilarious timing from the bbc um anyway you know why i picked that it's a nice easy link yep we'll hand over to the interview with linda and then we'll come back with some thoughts and comments on it straight away afterwards so today we're talking to linda blank you're the coo of suitcase how are you very well, thank you. Is Thanks it suit, so Suitcase Studio, Suitcase Magazines, just Suitcase? So it's Suitcase Group. Right. Um, that's our parent company. And we mm. have two subsidiaries in it, which is the magazine. Yeah. Um, so Suitcase Magazine. It's a consumer publication uh, traditionally, but now moving into becoming a more of an overarching platform. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a creative studio, which is the Suitcase Studio. And you're COO of one particular part of that or within the whole group? All of it. All of it? <laughs> yeah, the, the group, yeah. Um, so look, we're sitting in your kitchen, which is very, <laughs> if anyone's wondering, uh, if we hear the odd train go in the background, you're fairly near to King's Cross. Um, but it's quite nice because it means that we're sitting kind of around a kitchen table with tea and biscuits and a really nice glossy magazine that kind of feels like it fits with everything else. Almost planned. Oh, I'm glad you say that. <laughs> um, how long has the magazine been going? So we started just under eight years ago. Um, and I would say that the first couple of years were really experimental and trying mm-hmm. to find a voice and our level of authority. But um, 
once that was established, we've really been focused on growing both the print magazine and then the online platform. Mm -hmm. And we started with a print publication, which is absolutely bonkers if you think about it, the timing of it. Um, but our reasoning was to really make a point about print publications and good quality content that has a space in today's world. And you talk about that kind of good quality content piece, kind of flicking through. There's an article here on the essence of running. I'm slightly obsessed with running. <laughs> so this is all about running in Mexico, but it's a, it's a five-page article. So yes. it's, it's quite meaty and, is, and detailed. Yeah. Kind of where was that choice or how was that choice got to where it was like, hang on a minute, this is, this is where we need to be in the market and this is what's missing. And this is what's going to make something that goes against the grain at the time of advertising and short-form journalism work. Yeah, so I, I originally really it's evolved because of City Guides. So our founder Serena was living in Paris and all the content that she could find about Paris was about go have a macaron and go up the Eiffel Tower. And that wasn't really something that she wanted to do, especially you know, living there for a, for a period of time. So she started putting together um, uh, little kind of recommendations for her friends. And then at one point, one of the guides came back to her in just a Word document and someone said, you might like this. She said, well, yes, I do very much so because I wrote this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that really made her understand, wait a minute, there's actually a space for good recommendations for this millennial traveler that is not looking to do just you know bucket list things but is looking for a more local approach to the experience mm -hmm. and that's how it evolved but um that alone wasn't enough um especially because if you think about a print publication by the time you've kind of put it all together as a, as a traditional guide it's all out of date anyway mm -hmm. uh, especially when you think about kind of you know how today's world evolves with pop-ups and new restaurants coming up etc so we wanted to to create something more and we knew that there is a market for people who really want to sit down and and look at interact with beautiful photography and take the time to explore cultures and history and more behind the travel rather than kind of ticking off bucket list uh, out of interest, do you think that the magazine has a longer shelf life? Do you think people put it on their bookshelf as a consequence of what it is? Actually, they do. I know for a fact they do. Um, we, Because of the way we evolved, we have a really loyal and engaged audience. So mm. we hear from them all the time. <laughs> um, whether it's good or bad, mostly good. Um, and we recently ran actually a bunch of surveys and a focus group as well. And everyone says they see this more of a coffee table book and that they take their time with reading it. So that's why it's also quarterly, not monthly. Yeah. Gives a bit of kind of breathing time to do this. Um, and they collect them. Um, that's why we also moved away from having uh, the seasons on, on the cover or on the spine rather in this case and having these themes that I'm talking about. So looking at travel from an intellectual perspective. And it's interesting you say that because one of the first things I did with the spine was to go and look for the, oh, which edition is this in mm -hmm. terms of date which yeah. is just kind of pre-programmed into you i suppose it is exactly and instead we wanted to, um, to have obviously continuity and um, have these we, we call them volumes so it goes kind of from one to now number 30 actually mm. um and 
that gives people the, the urge to collect them and put them up on the on a shelf. And yeah. we actually also sell collector's bundles, um, so all the back issues, and that does really well as well. How do people discover the magazine? Because there is so much literature out there if you just mm. to go into, I, I don't know, a WH Smith or something, and, you know, hundreds of magazines under various different titles. So given that it's reasonably highly priced, mm-hmm. um, and people might be buying something when they're getting on a plane or something like that, and they're just looking for a bit of reading material. How, how do you build and grow that audience? So it's a really good question. Um, I think the main thing is to really be where they are. Mm-hmm. So when you say people buy it before they hop on a train, that's true. So that's why our focus is on travel outlets um, to be present at train stations and um, airports when they actually pick it up. So some some people discover it because they see it on newsstand and they just see a striking image yep. and pick it up and it looks very clean. So there's not much on the cover to tell you what it is. So they, they always want to pick it up and flick through and see what, what's it about. So kind of a level of curiosity is involved in this. But actually what um, I think has done well for us is that we have always grown organically. We focused on building a strong relationship with the customer base that we have, mm-hmm. which meant that they were really satisfied and loved the, the magazine and became super fans. And that in the end meant that they were telling their friends and their friends and their friends. Um, and we capitalized on that by also launching, for instance, gift subscriptions, which is um, one of one of the key things that people uh, buy the magazine or how people mag- people buy the magazine. So around Christmas time is um, often we'll see people buy subscriptions for their friends, their um their relatives etc because they see that it looks beautiful so it's a quite a nice gift as well um, and they just um, decide to give that to their friends which spreads the love and interaction with the with the magazine then um, brings up the loyal audience so in terms of that loyal audience how do you develop a, a, a customer journey that makes sense of them because say for example i pick up the magazine and i flick through and there's this article on running in mexico and i go hey that looks amazing maybe i want to do that I did a run in Switzerland last year. Um, I didn't. I didn't need to go to a magazine for the inspiration for that. My friend said, "Hey, there's this marathon going on. Let's do it." But once we did that, we said, "Right, let's spend a few more days whilst we're in Switzerland. Let's go out there, my, my wife and I, and kind of explore the country. Take advantage of being out there to do that." And then we went on numerous different websites and flicked through different kind of bits and pieces. Yeah. And like, right, where do we get train tickets from? which hotels, and we went on all the, the, the main sites that you can think of, but we, we looked at probably, I don't to be perfectly honest, she did most of it, but a lot of research. Also classic. Yes. <laughs> so what, what do you do with someone if they've read that article about running in Mexico and then they just go elsewhere? Mm. Yeah, you touch up on many uh, interesting points, actually. So apart from the print magazine of course we also have evolved and we have a strong social media following Mm -hmm. so not everyone will pick up the print magazine that's not always the entry point some people will just discover us on instagram and see beautiful imagery especially kind of the younger audience um and then learn about the brand like that and follow to the to the website so we have these two really strong channels, the print magazine and Instagram, which captures kind of the the first point of entry for people who are looking for inspiration. 
the next step for us, um, looking at kind of the customer journey, like you said, you were inspired to go to Switzerland to run, but then what do I actually do there? So that's why we've positioned our website, our platform as a research tool for people, mm -hmm. which is a lot easier to keep up to date than a print magazine um, and also a lot more interactive. So we developed multiple tools on site, including an interactive kind of city guide planner where you can filter by by the location area what you're looking for explore different recommendations and then actually save them to your own account so mm. you create your own personalized guide um, and so for, for us the the website is the platform where we can help customers with their research elements instead of going to multiple websites and maybe looking in the outdated um, uh, guidebooks etc we have everything there um, including you know obviously the, the obvious things like where to stay and where to go dancing and eating etc et um, but also some specific insider guides where we interview locals for their personal tips how do you how do you source content Good question. Um, so this is also, I think, something that sets us apart from other publications and has always been the case. So from the start, um, our founder was advised to actually start a blog, but she didn't want it to be about herself uh, because that is, again, a one-sided view and also a very kind of not, not the same brand ethos as we are promoting. So we're all about local recommendations. So you can't go to a new destination and mm. explore it in 48 hours or however long you want to be there and pretend like you know everything. So instead, um, what we've decided to do is to actually work with local contributors. So over time, obviously, we now have evolved and we have a huge network of people. And it doesn't necessarily need to be writers. They can be just interesting people we know, artists, fashion designers, architects, whatever it might be, who we think align very well with our values that could give an interesting perspective on, mm. on their destination. So we work with them um, to get their, their recommendations, their point of view, and then curate that on top of it through our lens and write it up in a nice way. And that's how most of our content is generated. We also have um, regular contributing editors who are mm -hmm. you know, in some of the key cities like London and New York and Paris who are living there all the time and, and they, they breathe the city and that way we can keep it up to date, especially with cities like that, that um, have, see a lot of change very quickly. Before we hit record, you described the magazine as Instagram in content, <laughs> which I thought was quite interesting because I think it says a lot about how you view or how you view the way social media should be perceived around travel. And kind of if you look at Instagram, and I've I've been to some nice locations and I follow them in terms of the hotels as hashtags, and you see mm -hmm. a lot of people posting pictures that are incredibly posed and they don't look posed but you know they're posed because when you were there you saw people spending half an hour trying to capture the perfect mm. picture for their instagram feed and it all feels very false so what what does it say i suppose about your view of social media as an organization and and what the magazine can do for it i suppose look so you definitely touch upon some elements of social media that are that prevail today um but we have a, a different approach so we mm. don't necessarily 
again, we don't focus on people. So when we push content, um, and I mean like in people from a you know personal individual point of view, of course we focus on people, but on cultures and really yeah. hearing the local story. Where you won't see an influencer, as you'd like to call them, um, go into a location and then take selfies, and yeah. that's not something that we're about. There probably is space for it, and you know. No, and, and that's borne out. If you look through the magazine, there's none of that. <laughs> yes, exactly. So for us, it's more important to show again this local perspective and also focus on um, beautiful imagery, which means professional photography. Mm-hmm. And original photography. Um, so for the magazine, we use we actually use professional photographers who are known either for specific destinations or specific points of view. So maybe you know they do loads of beautiful iceberg landscapes or stuff, something like that. Um, and we have a similar approach to our Instagram account. It's very much a curated feed of professional photography focusing on destinations and locals there yeah. rather than, you know, a jet setter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But one last thing that I wanted to ask. Um, you talked about the fact that quality content can be signified by slightly higher value. And I suppose it's that status simple thing. You mentioned uh, a couple of publications, but if I kind of think back to the way that white headphones were first kind of thought of when the iPod mm. first came out. Uh, and it was almost like people wanted white headphones because it signified that they had an iPod, and if they had an iPod, they were a certain kind of mm. status. But I suppose at the same time, you want to keep the content and the magazine accessible, and you, you don't want to exclude people. So how do you kind of balance that? Yeah, you know what? People are going to pay for long-form content. content. We want people who are you know, going to engage with really quite detailed and challenging content in some regards but also make sure that you keep it available to a broadest audience that you can. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a really difficult balance to strike, uh, for sure. I think for us, um, the focus is really on providing good quality content, which speak for speaks for itself. Mm. So just like you see people still buy books or still subscribe to... Um, good quality publications or even you know video live stream etc over time people uh, start to understand they assign value to content themselves when they interact with it Mm. so for us it's it's very important to just keep up the quality uh, of what we do and therefore enable the the consumer to judge for themselves when they when they open the magazine and interact with it that it's actually worth it but i'm not going to lie it's, it's a difficult balance to strike and obviously it is this um kind of a, a growing publication you're trying to grow all the time but for us um that was also always the case not to kind of try and chase numbers but uh, and you know have a vanity metric of I don't know, however many unique users on site every month, but really have a customer base that is engaged, which means that they read the articles. They don't skim. They read the articles. They read multiple articles on site. And therefore, because they use it, they themselves see the value in it. So, yeah. We just keep the quality, I, I suppose. That's probably the shorter answer to your question. <laughs> well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for inviting us into your home, which is, uh, as I said, it's set up. It, it works. You said it's kind of a, a coffee uh, coffee table publication. It kind of works with the setting that we've got right now. So um, thank you very much. And fingers crossed it does continue to grow. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
Right, you two are you two are Gen Z, probably. I Courtney, I'm not yeah, entirely sure how old you actually are. I'm I'm a millennial. <laughs> don't hurt yourself. Millennial. I don't think you are. I think you're a Gen Z. I think you missed millennial by one year. No. Hang I'm on. How old? How old are you both? I'm nearly twenty-three. You're I'm Gen 20, Z. I'm twenty-four. I'm a I'm a millennial. Yeah. Oh, I think that's Gen Z as well. I'm, 1997 is millennial. No, it's not. I promise you. 1996 is the cutoff year, and I am 1996. So has my whole life been a lie? <laughs> Apparently. Anyway, point is, I was interested to find out how you guys shop for holidays. <laughs> so I've got a really good answer for that one. I don't know if you know, I like buying my holidays that it's all kind of in a nice little package for me. So when I bought my first overseas holiday, I went to somewhere called STA Travel, right? They had these nice little magazines, these brochures, right? And you'd go and I'd pick it from the brochure and I went to Thailand and I did a three, two week holiday, three different locations. That's how I bought my holiday. See, right, I, so you got the magazine. Sorry, go on. Yeah, go on. well, I, I started, I, I went into STA being a student and, uh, and they sat me down. They showed me all these like different places you can stay and the different um, experiences you can do. And I then took that and took the idea and developed it myself by conversation from friends and family who had been to Thailand. And a lot, a lot of it when I went traveling was by my friends and been like, yeah. where do you recommend? It was all through recommendations rather than a company telling me what to do because I, I was like, I'm not paying all that money for a company to tell me what to do. I'd rather do it myself. And yeah. yeah. Cause whenever I go on holiday, I'll be perfectly frank. I have very little to do with it. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, I kind of go, yeah, yeah, that looks nice. But Haley, my wife will sit down and we'll basically do, read, she'll read review after review after review to try and get a sense. And she will use like five different sites like I, like I think I said in the interview, so many different sites yeah. to piece together the holiday rather than here is one platform. Yeah. And I do like the idea that Suitcase will pull it together for you. I do think that travel appears to be one of those environments where there isn't a kind of a marketplace that also has that recommendation local slant to it added in and, and, mm. and wrapped together so yeah. i can definitely see the appeal of what they're trying to bring to market that was one of the things that i actually when i was listening to it was that i love traveling and one of my main focuses is the local approach to it rather than the insta photo places and the like i hated bangkok just because of all the posy places that you were meant to go there in thailand i liked mm. the the little pop-up stuff and i like the little, the more, more, more to do with the deep culture rather than social media, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I, what really attracted me to the way um, Suitcase does things, obviously their background story is great. The way this came about is she didn't want the stupid little travel guides and stuff like that. And I really feel that because ever since moving to Europe, you want to go, you go away on weekend breaks, right? You have two days and that's what you have. You know what you want to do. You go see what you want to do. So, yes, you go see, for instance, Winter Eiffel Tower. But then what? That takes up an hour out of your day. Then what? I'd rather go to local places. And the fact that you you have a source, you have these people telling you, 
listen, this is what we do. This is what works best for us. I think the idea is brilliant and so relevant today. I think it's really interesting that they're doing it in print. Obviously, yes, they have their online source, but the fact that they're still doing it in print for me is a little bit shocking. But yeah. Yeah, shocking so. in what sense? Sorry, shocking, surprising, shocking. Yeah, yeah, shocking, surprising. Like obviously, it works. It's a nice little coffee table type of thing to have in your house. But I think when I'm finding that information, or when I want to read up on specific information, I'm not going to go to a shop and buy it. I'm not going to order it online. I'd rather be able to access it immediately. Now that's interesting I mean? because they they obviously have that that Instagram channel for people like you, but. Yeah. I do, I do understand the idea of because th- there are certain magazines that I will go out my way to buy because I like reading them, as opposed to like what? Wired. Okay. I prefer a physical, like I prefer a physical book to a Kindle. There are still certain magazines that I prefer to read physically if I'm going to read them. Okay. I mean, I agree with you on the book front. Like, I would rather read my novels in paper. That's how I would. I don't read on a Kindle. But when it comes to giving me information, I I think I'd rather. I don't know. That's just my input. Well, I I looked on the website straight away. And sadly, I don't think I'll be going to Lisbon, which has been booked um but again I use that as an example I searched up on the website and it says it's very simple and very easy to use and went on it went on Lisbon and the first thing that came up was uh what was it the hippie hippiest rooftop bars and I was like oh perfect that that would have been perfect (laughs) did it mention park bar out of interest I can't remember the exact there was a lot in the park bar, is that the one we we you? It was your suggestion, Dave. I think. I've been several times. I love it. It's 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 an old disused. No, it's not even disused, but it's it's the old rooftop of a multi-story oh. car park. Yes, yes, I've been there. It's brilliant. I think that yeah. I, I, I can't think. Yeah, it may have been on there. There was a lot actually, and then I um I looked at London because I I wondered is this price range wise? Mm. I wanted to see where their approach came from. For other countries so I obviously know London quite well and a lot of it at the beginning was like Michelin star restaurants the five star and I was a bit like oh okay so it's going to be quite a high-end like places and then you scroll mm. down and it came up with pizza pilgrims and I was <laughs> like yes <laughs> okay so normal people can this is open to Reacts. different price range and different people and it was quite nice to see pizza pilgrims on there it's funny, isn't it? Because it's it's definitely a high-end magazine. And and I suppose that's the point. It's not just information. They want it to be interesting reads. Like the the article in the magazine that uh, was on the table when I was interviewing Linda, I, I read afterwards with my wife, it was all about horse riding, a horse riding sanctuary, basically, where you could do like horse whispering in Spain. And it was just a really interesting read. I don't think I'd necessarily go, but it was just, it was it was a good read uh but just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean that you can't appreciate pizza pilgrims or you don't look for mm. the hidden gems or the bargains and the stuff that isn't just michelin star yeah. i'm not i'm not that interested about going to the fancy places i want somewhere where i can relax and feels a bit yeah. more like authentic yeah yeah i like the edgy the different places the like 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 they mentioned the different pop-up stuff and yeah yeah i i, I prefer that and I, I liked that to see see on there just on a proof of concept point, 
how like the amount of of companies that you know have an idea and then they have to go out and test that idea in the market we've spoken to countless on on the podcast but here their proof of concept was kind of done for them by the fact that her own article was handed back yeah, to yeah really didn't her imagine that i, I love think that best job in the world imagine that yeah speaking to all these people every day i love it definitely oh what i wanted to point out though is maybe that sorry is maybe that their their print work they said they want people who are engaged. They don't want people, uh, not don't want people, but they want people who are reading all the articles for word for word as opposed to just flipping through. So maybe their print work is more focused at those people who are like, okay, I'm sitting here on a Saturday afternoon and I'm going to read this, even though I'm not going to do it, even though I'm not planning a holiday there. So like you and your wife did. So understand that. I thought I just popped Old, it in. Oldies. Us yeah. older millennials. Yeah. Elder millennials, yeah. I am right, right on the cusp. I think it's like 1983 onwards, and I'm 1984. You lot yeah. are not millennials. You are. I am still a millennial. millennial. I, I, no, I don't know why you want to be. Because, <laughs> like, surely you want to be Gen Z. Right. People talk down Z Gens all the time and say that that, that Z Gens are lazy. They get everything done for them. Why would I want to be a Z Gen? <sighs> all right, snowflakes. Anyway. Um, <laughs> 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 oh dear right might edit that out I don't know keep it in authentic right okay look Linda thank you very much for being our guest we will put a link through to the website uh, if you are interested in any of the articles or having a look at the Instagram or anything along those lines we'll make sure that's in the show notes uh, but we'll take a quick break now and be back with a piece of technology news once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, we've got a piece of technology news for you now. Bosses speed up automation as virus keeps workers home. Livelihoods at risk as EY finds 41% of employers globally prepare for after the crisis, right? So I'll just read out this bit of paragraph for you. Almost half of company bosses in 45 countries are speeding up plans to automate their businesses as workers are forced to stay home during the coronavirus outbreak. Some 41% of the respondents in a survey by the auditing firm EY said they were invest investing in accelerating automation as business prepared for a post-post crisis world. I can't talk today. Um, the news comes just after, just days after figures showing that 3.3 million people have filed for unemployment in the US, by far the highest number ever recorded and a jump in le of less than, sorry, and a jump from less than 300,000 in the week before. In the UK, 477,000 people applied for universal credit in just nine days. So look, this is a bit negative, but I'm hoping that we can find some positives here. Courtney looks shocked. Uh, <laughs> Just I can't it is going to be a concern, especially if you work in factory jobs or anything along those lines. This, this I suppose, is going to be one of those inflection points where a company really can invest heavily and go, you know what, we haven't got the people in the factories, what are we going to do? Then we will, will invest in automation. And I suppose that is really the worrying. advance. Well, it's the advance of technology. 
It makes sense. Um, yes. And the people's jobs? Well, look, we've been talking about this for a long time, but I think what what has to happen now, if this is if this is going to go on, is there has to be some proper support from um, the state, from companies. Maybe some some social responsibility needs to be placed on companies to help retrain people, because there will be jobs that are created. If a company goes to auto, to automate to that extent, then it is going to create more attack vectors and more soft targets from a cybersecurity point of view you're going to need more people in technology roles to make sure that the algorithms and whatever else and you know that it, it works okay um so there will be higher value jobs created in other parts of industry but they will only be accessible by people with certain skills and if people aren't supported in some way and they are left behind and just forgotten about, then you will have real severe political kickback five or 10 years down the line. I just really hope that the people that have either been made redundant or been put on furlough, I really hope they take that time to train in stuff like coding, stuff that you can do at home and retrain. If they're like a factory, if they work at a factory, then then learn more about technology and the new way of life before it gets too, they, it, go, it goes by too fast and they mm. are left behind. I mean, furlough is slightly different to redundancy. I mean, furlough, yeah. but then furlough, is, furlough is positive. Furlough is yeah. positive. And it's great that, that governments around the world are making it possible yeah. for companies to get through this yeah. and keep hold of their staff. Because it is it is critical to the economy that there is a critical mass of workers who go back to work when the world get back, gets back to work. And I think it's Next have shut down all of their operations, like all of their online yeah. delivery. Yeah, I, can't, I can't even look at online at the moment. I went there, yes- <laughs> on there yesterday. Can't do it's anything. like they've gone into deep hibernation. But stuff like that... But Stuff like that is only possible and those businesses can only survive with schemes like furlough there for them to be able to turn around to their staff and go, we want you, we want you to come back. But right now, if we're going to survive as a business, we need to dial down and, and basically go into hibernation mode until we are ready to come back, you know? Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, even though it's a really negative thing to talk about, at the end of the day, everyone has tried to do their bit so that we all come out of this okay. I think the government has given us a great package. I think our companies are looking, trying to look for ways to keep their employees happy and safe. So at the end mm. of the day, even though it's a really negative thing, it's really shown how everyone's come together. And I think there's a definite, yeah. I think there's a definite difference between manual labor that could have been automated that now oh, is yeah. there is going to be a huge push yeah. forward mm. versus obviously the services sector, uh, retail, tertiary stuff where people are kind of quite hands on. And yeah, like I think it's amazing that governments around the world have put aside political ideology. I mean, who would have ever thought? I'm not a fan of the Conservatives, but who would have ever thought that a Conservative government? I mean, they kind of have to, but a Conservative government would say we'll pay eighty percent of employees' salaries. I was, I was very, very shocked. Make sure that companies can keep people, <laughs> keep their jobs, and make sure that we kind of get through this. Like, and I think, I think, um, I think the US with its two trillion dollar stimulus package has similar stuff in there. Uh, Germany, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't much different. Ireland, I think it's seventy percent, and you can carry on working. You know, it, it, it is incredible. Than, um, David, sorry, Ireland in Ireland is it? Like, yeah. I I thought it was 70, but okay, I might be wrong on that. Um, but that is amazing. But I think it's going to be very interesting. The world is not going to be the same world when we come out the other side of this. Era. No matter what, things will never, ever go back to normal. 
normal in inverted commas. Things will never go back to normal. We're going to come out of this completely different. The way we work is going to change. This is going to start feeling like the new normal. Like this, this like kind of home working will start to feel like the new norm. I think it proves that people can work from home. Uh, someone was telling me that it's like the the case that, you know, during the Second World War when women entered the workforce en masse and then obviously when the war finished, they, they were like, well, why would we want to give up our jobs? There's going to be an element of, well, if we can prove that we can work from home, why would I go back to five days a week in the office? I think for many of us, we'd kind of go, you know what? I'd like I- to be in the office two or three days a week because I like the social interaction. I want to see people. Just- but. why would I come in five days a week? And I think a lot of companies will look at it and go, well, hang on a minute. We can have a look at how we're a bit more flexible with our, with our workforce. And also, is it really sensible? Is it healthy to send 13 and a half million people into London every day? And you save a lot on travel food. If you don't actually go in, you forget how much it's a simple, like one drink or one bit of let's go out for dinner for a small, like a small dinner. It works out. You're spending so much money for no reason. Yeah. Look, we are finding that we are finding the positives here. There will be positive changes to the world of work. Yes, a massive push in automation, but that'll create jobs. It is a yeah. negative headline, um, and there are a lot of people with very real concerns right now, and legitimately so. But hopefully, you know, like you say, Ali, the world can kind of pull together. Companies can take advantage of the furlough to protect people and to say we want you and you know unfortunately a lot of businesses like next are going to have to dial down at the minute but rather that than cut and slash and then have nothing to build back from afterwards mm. and people can do everything that they wanted to do before like learn a language or like like I said yeah. earlier learn a new skill and and get keep fit at home and spend time with your families there's some small positives that people overlook during this whole pandemic happy tuesday Hey, no, this was positive. We turned a negative oh, into lots of positives. We ended it in very, I'm, I've been positive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I will let you two get back to the rest of your afternoons. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We will, of course, be back on Friday. Until then, keep safe, everyone. And be positive.